0: Welcome to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. Today's Tuesday, February 6th, day 123 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borshell, Dan here with Zman Israel editor Biranit Gorin and education reporter Gavriel Fisk.
1: Hello to you both. Good morning, Amanda.
0: Hi, Amanda we will discuss the seemingly deteriorating relationship between Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Defence Minister Yoav Gallant, how National Security Minister Itamar Bengvir is again causing a bit of a ruckus and the campaign against a potential hostage deal. Gavriel is here to fill us in on early conscription for teens participating in gap year programs and how those released from the reserves are integrating back into university life. All this and much more when we're back.
2: The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical,
0: Palestinian gunmen in the West Bank opened fire at the northern Israeli community of Kibbutz Merav this morning. There are no injuries in the attack, but slight damage was caused to one of the homes. The IDF says security forces in the area returned fire and troops have launched a manhunt for the terrorists. Rocket sirens sounded in Rosh close to the border with Lebanon, so far twice this morning, signaling incoming rocket fire from Lebanon. The IDF says troops continue to battle Hamas operatives above and below ground in southern Gaza's Khan Yunis, as well as carry out raids in the northern and central parts of the Strip. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is due to fly to Egypt today as part of his Middle East crisis tour, seeking a new truce and a, quote, enduring end to the Hamas-Israel war. The trip, Blinken's fifth to the region in the nearly four-month-long war, will later include stops in Israel and Qatar. Bira. We hear a lot about people who support a hostage release deal and those who are pushing to bring them home now at any cost. But let's talk a little bit about the movement of those who are fighting
3: such a deal. What do you know? I wouldn't call it a movement. There is a political campaign that is sprouting uh, that has very clear roots in, in that insofar as that you know exactly what messages it's echoing and for whom that was started primarily in Channel 14, which is our sort of equivalent, I guess, of Fox News. It's not as professional as Fox News, not as widespread, and doesn't have the rating of Fox News, but in in respect of when we speak about a, a channel that is aligned with a certain political figure, I would say that's that's the example I would give of Fox News. So Channel 14 in the last couple of days has started uh, quite an astonishing campaign of essentially saying, not even hinting, but actually saying that we should have Hamas, you know, uh, annihilated at all costs, including the cost of the hostages that are in Gaza right now, and that the campaign to free the hostages is actually a threat to the st- stability of the government, and therefore they should raise their own words, they should raise the stakes and, and be more aggressive against it, and that uh, they call upon the Prime Minister of Israel to continue with his promise of total annihilation to the Hamas, or as Netanyahu calls it, total victory, and at all costs, again, uh, with the including. The cost of lives of uh, hostages held in Gaza right now.
0: Now, Channel Fourteen is often considered a mouthpiece of the government or of Bibi himself. So, what do you make of this uh, raised volume of dissent in in terms of a a hostage deal?
3: I think that in that Netanyahu is in a position where, not for the first time, um, his personal survival and his personal uh, gain is at odds with the gains of other groups, or the country for that matter. I think he has a big political issue on his hand right now, whereby the proposed hostage hostage deal, which we're all waiting, ironically, for Hamas to decide if they accept it or not, but the proposed hosti- hostage deal includes r- the release of terrorists held in Israeli prisons and some form of uh, stopping the war in Gaza, whether it's uh, a ceasefire, whether it's pulling out, but but all those um, all those terms are completely unacceptable um, to the far right, uh, p- primarily to um, Itamar Ben Gurion and his um, Otzma Yehudit party, and to Bezalel Smotrich and his uh, religious Zionist party. And Netanyahu needs them to keep his coalition intact and, in fact, to stay in power. So he's in a situation where if he passes uh, or if he accepts um, or if if a deal comes through that includes those kind of stipulations, and it doesn't even matter if it's 770 or 7,000 prisoners that are being released, and it doesn't matter if the ceasefire is for 45 days or for 45 years. Either way, Smotrich and Benvir will lead a a no vote against it uh, in government, which means either the, the deal doesn't pass through or Netanyahu loses his government, one of the two. So that puts Netanyahu in a position where you could say that he'd better off have others take this deal off his hand, whether it's Hamas that will reject it and and, and up the ante, um, or whether it's the government that will and his own partners that will say, no, this is a deal that we cannot that we, we cannot do. At the same time, Bira, yesterday, opposition leader
0: Yair Lapid uh, warned the prime minister about uh, giving continuing power to National Security Minister Tamar Ben-Gvir. And Lapid again reiterated his offer to enter the government to replace the ultra-nationalists in order to secure this deal. So in a way, Lapid is giving him perhaps an option that Netanyahu doesn't even want to have on the table.
3: Lapid isn't really giving Netanyahu, from Netanyahu's point of view, he's not giving him what he needs, which is longevity and lack of choice. Meaning Lapid can now enter this government so that the hostages will be released, You know, give Netanyahu the backing he needs to pass this deal. But what happens the day after? Both he and Netanyahu knows they're not going to stay together forever. They're not going to run together in the next elections, wherever they may be. Whereas Netanyahu knows that Ben has no one, virtually no one, who will sit with him other than Netanyahu. So they're, you know, they're in cahoots together. They're in this till till the end of times. You know, there's this, there's a 64 member government, you know, majority uh, coalition right now that is wholly betrothed to uh, or beholden to Netanyahu and to one each other. So they're they're in the same boat. Lapid saying, don't worry about it, I'll swim next to you. That's not going to help Netanyahu in the long run. That's not something that uh, is going to help him. My, my feeling is that if Lapid and others were, if at all, I'm not sure that it will work, but if at all, were able to to do something about it, it would be, and I'm sorry to say this, negotiate a hostage deal where Netanyahu's willing to free us for a certain um price of his, you know, of, Net- of Ben stronghold. Um in maybe they'll sign up and say, we will make sure that your government stays intact until the next elections, which is in three years' time. Maybe if if Netanyahu can get a check like that maybe then he'll say okay fine in that case i can make i'm free to make other decisions but i don't know that that'll ever happen
0: we're also hearing of increased friction between Netanyahu and Yoav Gallant the defense minister what do you see happening in this situation
3: we first have to you know let it sink that israel is in one of its most complicated wars ever if not the most complex war ever uh, and inside in and, and inside that situation, we have a prime minister and defense minister who don't speak to each other, who literally cannot stand each other, are finding it very hard to work with each other. It's very often that we hear stories about, you know, Gallant yelling at Netanyahu or leaving a meeting. They don't spend the day together. You know, it's quite astonishing. Um and when we, we we kind of delved into it in zman israel yesterday in a, an article that our political uh, analyst did, Shalomi roshalmi you know they have history netanyahu tried to fire galant uh, a year ago amidst the uh, judicial overhaul um and then backed up. so you you'd think that would you know that would leave some bitterness behind but galant says to his you know in closed conversations he says he doesn't care about that. You know, that's politics. And what actually really broke him was after October 7th, you know, the fact that um, Netanyahu started attacking the army, starting laying blame at, at, on the army quite soon after um, the massacre. And he said that just completely broke him, that that was the, the point of no return in their relationship but uh, any, he's also warning that any any attempt by Netanyahu and his lackeys in the Likud Party to try and get rid of Gallant is not going to be successful. He has no plans to go anywhere. He's planning to stay and fight on. So I think, um, and Gallant is quite popular. It has to be said, both in the Likud and and in the general public, they see him as a very responsible, right wing, you know, straightforward guy. So I think. Netanyahu right now is facing a problem with with Gallant that may turn into a bigger problem and may not. But right now, he's very careful. You can see it. He's very careful in not attacking Gallant and not sending, um, you know, reporters and stuff like that after Gallant. We have yet to see the, as we call it here, the poison machine. We have yet to see the poison machine turn towards Gallant. It may happen, though.
0: Birat, thank you so much for all of these insights.
3: Thank you, Amanda.
0: We'll go to a short break.
3: I got married
0: this Monday in the middle of a war.
2: You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a four by four. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories, Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now and he told me take with you a sleeping bag and a tent (laughs) and just go i
3: texted him on like after i was told that he was killed
0: from their eyes i was a traitor
3: everybody needs their like blankie their teddy bear something to make them feel safe
1: i'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war these children of hamas now will be the killer of my
3: children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Idom
2: Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we're back. The Israel Defense Forces will hold an early recruitment round in March of some 1,300 Israelis who are currently enrolled in pre-Army yeshiva and community service programs we learned last week. A new grassroots protest movement of, if I'm not mistaken, mostly mothers is speaking out against the lack of parity between the secular and religious conscripts being called up. Gavriel, tell us a little more about this.
1: Right. It's a complex issue, and it's sort of a flashpoint, I think, for a lot of things that are going on in Israeli society. There's a group called the Mothers of the Front, um, and they were actually formed during the anti-overhaul protests. And so they're sort of seeing what they're doing now as a continuation of that. And the IDF and the Defense Ministry, actually it was actually about a month ago that they came out and said, we need to do early recruitment for a bunch of students the, that are in the pre-Army programs of different kinds. The original numbers were 1,400, of which only 150 were drawn from the religious Zionist yeshiva system, or the there's the, a combination program where they're doing yeshiva studies and army service. And so they protested that, and they actually changed the numbers. So now it's 850 being drawn from the pre-army academies and the volunteer service years, and then 450 from the yeshivas. Um, but these moms are quite upset about the lack of parity. That they feel that the the more secular community is paying the brunt of this early recruitment um, and that the religious community, the religious Zionist community, um, has less. And I interviewed the leader, Ayla Shachar Sadov, a few days ago. Um, and she's been in the Israeli media quite a bit. Uh, she's a lawyer, and they actually have a lawsuit. They have some kind of legal proceedings, which they're waiting to hear the result of. At the moment, it's going through the, the early recruitment in March. And all these programs were supposed to end at the end of the academic year, so it's about three months early for a lot of these students, um, which is also one of their complaints. That why not let them finish out the year? If it is the army in such higher straits that they needed, you know, just a bit a thousand three hundred students um, to ruin their year and damage these programs, um, you know? So that's that's one of their complaints. There was a protest with a few hundred people outside the Knesset yesterday. Um, and it it doesn't seem to be that effective. It's interesting to note that, you know, one of the videos going around from that protest were students from the volunteer service years. And I'd like to say volunteer service instead of community service, it's because in America, you know, you get in trouble with the law and you can do community service instead of jail. But they're really volunteering a year on all different kinds of things, agricultural work and doing and being in schools, um, all kinds of different things like that. And there was a group of students there and one of the leaders there spoke and he said, you know, if the army wants us, we'll go. No one's saying we're not going to go. It's not that kind of protest. But he said, why? Why can't we have a few more months and finish the year? It's, you know, instead of August, they're coming in March. Is it really in that dire straits that we you know, need to, to finish the year?
0: First of all, it's possible that yes, and I'll just butt in, uh, it's no secret that I have seven kids and three of my kids are in this mix right now. One of my sons is now in basic training. He did a volunteer service year last year. And we were told quite clearly that this is a privilege, not a right. And it's the same situation with my son who is in one of these mechinot. This is supposed to prepare you for the army. It is a privilege, not a right to have this kind of gap year program. And so I kind of wonder about this uh, counter protest to, to this claim that they need to finish out the year. They're at the army's discretion to begin with. It is at the army's discretion to have them defer their service. And so if the army changes its mind or the army needs it, why protest?
1: Right. Well, it has to be said the main thrust of their protest is shivyon, it's balance. They want the yeshiva students to also be more of a part of this early recruitment there's 450 students who are not supposed to be recruited, but they're only being recruited from the second year. If they're still in their first year of these yeshiva programs, they won't be taken, unlike in these other programs. Um, And there is an element, um, there is a little bit of a difference, you know, in the pre-Army academies, I talked to some officials who sort of the, the central body that runs those, and you know, someone told me off the record that they also agree that there should be more balance with the yeshivas, and they're going to work for that. And then a week later, they said, "Oh, we've stopped giving uh, interviews to the press now." So, so I think there is a feeling that it's more about the balance, not about not doing the service. Um, I, as we've discussed, I also have a son who's in one of these programs, and we had a meeting last night with the administrators. And, you know, the overall feeling was like, okay, if this is what we got to do, then we're doing it. One mom just said, you know, my son's ready to go. Fine. But there's sort of a feeling of what a pity. Why does it have to be this way? And it's compounded because, you know, these programs are looked at by the parents and by the staff and by the students as sort of a special time. It's a special year um, for these kids. And because of the war, because a lot of their staff was called up, for for reserve duty and because of all these things they've had to change so much so i think it's sort of a compounded effect of why it doesn't seem but again the main thrust is they of the protest movement is that they want the yeshivas to take an equal amount of the early recruitment, not against the early recruitment completely, although that's a part of it.
0: Okay, so let's briefly speak about the 360,000 reservists who were called up to the war by the IDF, and an estimated 100,000 of them were enrolled in one of Israel's major universities. So that's like 30% of all students enrolled for the current academic year. And the academic school year was uh, pushed off until ostensibly the end of December. Of course, some of the reservists were still in duty. Some were released before. And so, They're having this compounded problem of just getting out of Gaza, some of them, since October 7th, and then trying to reintegrate into civilian society and also potentially missing uh, weeks of classes. So, Gabriel, most of the universities are really trying to accommodate them, it sounds like. And you had a site visit to Bailan University. What's happening there?
1: Right. So I visited Bailan and the students are back. They had a special week orientation. Not all the universities did this, but most of them did at the end of January, a few weeks after classes began, um, to, to receive the returning reserve students. Um, and there was sort of a compounded you know, review of what they had missed for a few weeks and all of this. Um, so I talked to a bunch of students. I talked to a bunch of staff. Again, everyone's trying to do their best in a difficult situation. They have quite a bit of aid for the students. All the universities are doing this. Financial aid, credits for their time served. So they can reduce a class maybe, expanded psychological services. There's quite an awareness of this, of the, you know, the mental challenges of coming back and sitting and learning. Um, and a bunch of other things, personal tutors. Also, the semesters are shortened. They're two 10 week semesters instead of 14. And they're taking care to not try to cram 14 weeks of material into 10 weeks, but just have 10 weeks of material. So they're doing all they can. The The students that I talked to, you know, they're in a particular phase of life, most of them, which is they're in their late 20s. You know, they've, they're have they doing a, their first degree or their second degree. They finished their army service, some of them in intensive programs that are longer than the three years, right? And so then they were called up to, to the reserve duty. Now they're back in school, but they still have some, a lot of them still have some responsibilities and it's not a clean break. They also know that they might be called up again, as we've reported on, the, you know, all the All the reservists who are being let go, or most of them, as we understand, could get called up again in a few months. And so they also know that, and they're trying to do as much of their schoolwork and get as much of it together. I mean, the administration told me that they're going to make sure that the reservists are going to be able to finish the year, however they do it, recorded classes, uh, changing the exam schedules. One of the students said, and he had a really good point, uh, and I closed the article with it, he's like, we'll have to see the grades, we'll have to see the results. If the reservists have a lower, you know, average or lower test scores for this academic year than the others, then that'll be an issue going forward.
0: Gabriel, thank you so much for this uh, update. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode has been produced by The Podwaves. If you have a question about this or any other episode, please drop us an email to podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom.